Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Lee Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. Today, we're going to be talking about friends with benefits. I love this topic because when I first got into sex research, friends with benefits was the thing I started studying. I had been teaching college courses on human sexuality for a few years at that point, and I often got questions from students on this subject, but there just wasn't any research on it, so I couldn't really answer their questions effectively, so I decided to explore it. I've published several papers on friends with benefits at this point, and I found that people often get into these relationships for drastically different reasons, and they often have wildly different expectations for what they hope will happen in the future. Sometimes things work out great, and sometimes they get really complicated. So in this show, we're going to be talking all about the science of friends with benefits. What do these relationships tend to look like? How common are they? Can people go back to being just friends? We're also going to talk about tips for navigating friends with benefits in a healthy way. My guest is Dr. Jesse Owen, a professor in the counseling psychology department at the University of Denver. He is a licensed psychologist with clinical specializations, including couples and family therapy and multicultural therapy. He has over 180 academic publications and has co-authored three books, including Mindfulness-Based Practices and Therapy. I can't wait for this conversation, but before we dive in, if you're looking to level up your sex life, check out Beducated, the Netflix for better sex. Their online courses can help you to increase your sexual knowledge and skills. They can also help you to cultivate more satisfying relationships. They have courses for everything, including those who are interested in exploring the world of consensual non-monogamy. For example, they have classes on how to navigate threesomes as well as how to open up a relationship. The content is great and there's a lot to learn from these courses. So try them all today for free. And if you like what you see, you can get 70% off the yearly pass by using my last name, Laymiller, as the coupon code. It's just $7.99 per month after that and the discount is locked in forever. Check the show notes for the link or visit beducated.com and be sure to use my last name to get your discount. All right, let's talk about friends with benefits. Hi, Jesse, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm excited to talk all about the world of friends with benefits with you. Now, before we dive in, I'd like to begin by asking you to tell us a little bit about your professional backstory. So specifically, what drew you to this field? How did you become a relationship therapist and get into the world of sexuality research? Yeah, good question. So part of my journey in, in the relationship side of my career has really been focused on helping people navigate ambiguous situations. And this happens a lot in romantic relationships where there is some level of commitment or monogamy. And then there's times where people start to question and wonder, should this relationship continue? And so those types of relationships and the uncertainty that happens is not unique to committed relationships. So like Friends with Benefits, I think it's a great example of where a lot of uncertainty can live, especially if it's navigated poorly. And so one of my goals as a professional is to help people have the relationships that they want to have in a consensual and satisfying manner. And so I don't care if people like to hook up, if they like Friends with Benefits or if they like committed relationships, whatever your flavor is, there's something out there for you and there's probably a better way and probably a worse way to navigate some of these dynamics. So my goal in my research was to A, normalize a little bit of these different types of relationships. Some of the earlier research was really stigmatizing and expecting negative results from these relationships. And that just wasn't the narrative I was hearing from 
colleagues, from the clients I was seeing, and once we started exploring some research around this area, it further validated the fact that people enjoy these relationships, or at least a subset of folks do enjoy these relationships, and there's a subset of folks who get burned and don't feel so positive after these relationships. And so part of my research journey has been to help understand what those dynamics are, what those differences could be, as well as, you know, helping people identify the warning signs. Like, is this really the relationship that you want? And how would you know if you're in it too deep to pull yourself back out in a way that, you know, preserves either the friendship or preserves your own well-being? I love all of that. And I know you mentioned that you study ambiguous relationships, and I kind of think all relationships are a little bit ambiguous, and we could all use a little bit of help navigating them. But I love this idea that you shared about how you want to help people figure out the type of relationship that's right for them. Because I think a lot of people tend to think that there's just one way to do relationships, and they're trying to fit themselves into this certain mold. And sometimes that's not the right mold for them. And so as I've talked about on this podcast many times before, different things work for different people. And it's all about exploring your options and figuring out what's right for you. I also think you make a really great point about how a lot of the past research on friends with benefits and casual sex more broadly has been very stigmatizing. It's been very risk-focused on all of the negative, all of the bad things that could happen if you pursued casual sex. And in recent years, we've kind of seen a shift in the research where we've started to explore some of the positive sides of casual sex and friends with benefits. And I think when we start to better understand the potential benefits and good things that can come out of these relationships, that can help us to better navigate these relationships on our own. So let's talk about what a friend with benefits, what does that actually mean, right? So let's start with the definitional question. So when you're doing a study of friends with benefits, how do you define this concept? Yeah, it's a great question. It's very challenging. So there are a lot of terms that are very much associated with friends with benefits that that can get confusing. And there's some gray area, there's not one solid definition, but this is the definition that we tend to use. And that is having somebody that is in the friendship world, right? So somebody that you have an ongoing, maybe emotional connection to, or you do things together as friends, as well as then do some things that are uh, intimate. So physically intimate, uh, be it kissing all the way to sex. And that to me would be the benefits part of our definition, but still maintaining that friendship part. And we try to differentiate this from like, so there's probably some folks who are more on the friendship side and less on the benefit side, and some folks who are on the more benefit side, but less on the friendship side. And so we think of it as kind of a continuum, but the, the element of friendship or some ongoing interactions that are not intimate is kind of the home versus like a hookup where you may not ever see that person again. It was not planned. You might've just met the person that night. That's a different kind of relationship. That's a different kind of intimacy that typically comes with you know different issues with it or different kind of complexities, but very different than the friendship thing. Yeah. So we've got kind of a continuum within a continuum because you've got this whole continuum of casual sex to start with, right? Which can run from the one night stand up to, you know, friends with benefits and booty calls and fuck buddies. And, you know, you've got all these different sort of gradations of 
casual sex, right? That's sort of vary in their degree of casualness and also in the degree of emotional connection between the partners. But then within each of these separate categories, like say friends with benefits, there's a whole other continuum there of kind of like, what does that relationship look like? So I think it's an important starting point is that when you say the word friends with benefits, it might mean different things to different people, or it might look very different across people's relationships. So let's talk about how many people have ever had a friends with benefits relationship before? What do we know about that? And is it becoming more common for people to have sex with their friends? Yeah, so it's interesting. So for most of this research, it's done on college campuses. So we know a lot about what college students are doing, a little bit of on the high school level. And we see obviously more hookups and friends with benefits at the college level than the high school level. And what we're talking about here, I mean, the percentages range widely. And so for hookups, we're talking about 50 to 80% of college students engaging in a hookup in the last year. Friends with benefits, it's a little bit lower, anywhere from 30% to about 45 to 50%. So uh, friends with benefits is less common as relative to hookups, but it's still, if you think about that, one in three or one in, one in two people engaging in a friends with benefits relationship is, at least during college, is pretty remarkable in terms of the frequency in which this has happened. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out that friends with benefits can be for people at any stage of life, really. And in the online studies I've done of friends with benefits, where I've tried to step outside of just the college campus setting, you tend to get pretty wide diversity in the age of the participants. So, you know, it goes from college age folks up to people in their 60s and 70s. So, you know, you can have friends with benefits at any stage of life. But most of the research, as you mentioned, is based on college student samples. And, you know, most of the research on sex and relationships in general is based on college students because they're the population that is easiest to access for a lot of researchers. So I think sometimes that might make certain things seem disproportionately common in the college setting when they might also be really common in other age groups, other demographic groups. So it's kind of an unfortunate limitation that we don't know as much about something like friends with benefits outside of that college student setting, but we do know that those relationships exist. And I have seen some nationally representative data where they've looked at whether people have ever had sex with a friend before. And what we've seen, if you compare that figure across different decades, is that it is becoming more common. So more people do seem to be having sex with their friends. So what does a friends with benefits relationship typically look like? And why do people start looking for them in the first place? So is this really just about an opportunity for sex? Or are people sometimes looking for more than that? You know, what can you tell us about kind of the motivations people have for starting a friends with benefits relationship? That's a good question. And I think you hit, you hit the nail on the head, like the motives vary wide. You know, some folks, especially the dating norms of how do you get to become you know, monogamous relationship, if that's what you want. The steps to do that are more ambiguous, I think, now than probably ever before, where people are more likely to hang out in groups of friends, and then things might evolve, you know, throughout the day, throughout the night, where people then become a little bit more intimate with each other near the end of the night, potentially alcohol-abused <laughs> interactions. But I also think that there's some people who, like, really engage in this to explore their sexuality, and they want to do it in a safe relationship and not necessarily with a one-night stand or a hookup situation where they really want to have true intimacy 
but they don't want the commitment that goes along with that. And so what we do know about a lot of the sex research is that sex is a, it's a learned thing. You learn your partner, you learn yourself, and that can happen in a very trusting relationship. And I think that's the, that's the one draw for a lot of folks with friends with benefits is that you do get that experience and you get the friendship there. And so it's a safe, safer environment emotionally and likely physically. We do know in some of our research that some folks engage with friends with benefits just mainly for like the convenience that you know where your friend is, you know, like you're hanging out. And if it ends up at the end of the night that you end up having sex, then great. God, that's fine too. So I think there's a lot of different motives here. And definitely there's some people who do hope that a relationship will evolve from friends with benefits. And I think that's where some of the the uncertainty can play, play a role, right? So hope is good when it's good and bad when it's bad. So like, it's all about being on the same page with, you know, with your partner, whoever it is, to make sure that there's not surprises. There's not, there's somewhat mutual understanding. Yeah, and that's exactly what we've seen in our research is that people are all over the map. You know, some people are using it as a vehicle to start a romantic relationship and thinking that, hey, this is an opportunity for for love, potentially. Others want to really deepen the emotional bond and connection they have with their friend. Some people just want to avoid romantic relationships entirely. So this is sort of a placeholder thing for them while they, you know, sort of wait until they're ready to have a romantic relationship. And then what you mentioned about sexual exploration, we see that a lot in our work too. Sometimes it's about exploring just different activities sexually and sometimes it's about sexual identity exploration where say somebody who might be bisexual might explore having a same-sex relationship of some sort for the first time so it can really be this flexible adaptable relationship style where people can kind of meet a lot of different needs and explore a lot of different sides of themselves in the process of it now Friends with benefits, as we mentioned, can be for anyone, regardless of age, but also regardless of gender and sexual orientation. But have you seen any differences in your work among people in terms of why they approach friends with benefits or how they navigate them based on their gender or sexual orientation? There's there's not as much research on friends with benefits when it comes to folks in the trans community, gender non-binary there, there is some research related to sexuality and sexual feelings within that research that's really fantastic work that's being done. And I think different communities sometimes engage these terminologies a little bit different. And so I think that, that to put some caveats on this next statement that I'm going to make, which is at least with people who identify as, as a man and people who identify as a woman, we see that men typically enjoy friends with benefits relationships more than women. But men and women both enjoy friends with benefits more than they dislike them. And so when we start to think through like, okay, so people are liking this more than they're disliking this on average. And what we have is in some of our research, we've seen women are a little bit more hopeful that it will translate into a romantic relationship versus men. And so I think that's where if, if folks are, are engaging in more of a heterosexual uh, friends with benefits, there could be some misalignment there, not to say that it's always a one-to-one, but I, I do think that there's some way that people are trying to engage in this space that they might be feeling themselves through different kind of identities, different kind of ways of being, and sometimes it can lead to disappointment. Sometimes it can lead to great excitement, further boostering the, the friendship 
Yeah. And this is reminding me of the very first paper I published on friends with benefits. It was called something like gender differences in approaching friends with benefits relationships. And I did see there was a pretty sizable difference if you look at self-identified men and women in terms of their motivations for wanting to begin the relationship, where men were more likely to see it as an opportunity for no strings attached sex. Women were more likely to see it as a potential opportunity for love. We saw some differences in terms of what people hoped would happen over the long term in the relationship. And so, yeah, it's exactly what you're saying. I think there's sort of this mismatch of expectations that often happens that I think accounts for why men on average might be a little bit more satisfied with these relationships than women. But overall, my findings are consistent with what you said, which is that, you know, people tend to be fairly satisfied in these relationships, but there do seem to be some differences across gender. There are also some differences across sexual orientation. And I say this because within the LGBTQ community, casual sex is a little less stigmatized than it is in the cisgender heterosexual community. And so I think that might open up the door to LGBTQ people having more opportunities for friends with benefits and maybe feeling more freedom to explore that side of themselves. So there certainly do seem to be differences based on both gender and sexual orientation. Now, something else you've done some research on in Friends with Benefits is deception, right? And some people who have a friend with benefits feel as though their partner is deceiving them in some way maybe about the intentions that they have for the relationship. So can you tell us a little bit more about this? Why do some people think that their friend with benefits is deceiving them? And what are the implications of that for the relationship? Yeah, so this line of research, we started with some focus groups. Granted, we never published the focus group, but the, po the focus group was really interesting to get a deeper dive into people's motivations and how they felt they were treated during their friends with benefits relationship. And, and so what we heard from a subset of the folks in the focus group was, I felt like there was something missing. Like there was some key to this puzzle that I didn't quite have. And then, you know, like a number of people mentioned, oh, then I saw this person out with somebody else and I got really jealous. Or this person then started a romantic relationship, like a committed relationship with somebody else, just kind of caught me off guard. And so a lot of this was like, oh, wait a minute, the rules probably weren't set up in the way that they thought they were being set up. And I think there's a lot of assumptions that happen with friends with benefits. And when you make assumptions about things, obviously you can be right or you can be wrong. And with ambiguous situations or uncertain situations like friends with benefits, I think that there's a danger in that there might be a misalignment. And it could be that the, the other partner is not necessarily intending to do harm or intending to deceive. But yet, you know, if you're misaligned, then you feel like you're being deceived or you feel like you might be misaligned too. And so I think there's some of these things about the rules of relationships that people just need to be clear about and be honest about. And if they're okay with that, good. And realize that it's not a linear path. It's not like we agreed to this on Tuesday. Two weeks from now, you might be feeling a lot different because now you're realizing, oh, this is what this feels like. And so just to make sure that like people are on the same page. And that can go either direction, right? You could be agreeing to something on Tuesday and two weeks from now be like, this is awesome. I really enjoyed this, this approach to relationships because I feel free. I feel it explore my sexuality or it could go the other way right like oh wait a minute i am not the kind of person cut out for this this kind of ambiguous relationship again 100 fine either way but i think the deception piece is one of those things where people are ascribing kind of you know ill intent towards their friends with benefits partner and the real question is is that really true or is that just a perception 
that is a really important and really interesting point. And, and I think it applies to relationships more broadly because oftentimes people feel that their partner is deceiving them, whether it's in a romantic relationship or some type of casual relationship. But that partner hasn't done anything to intentionally try and deceive the other person. Rather, it's because we often approach relationships with all of these implicit assumptions. So, for example, in the world of romantic relationships, people often just assume that they're monogamous at some point in time without ever sitting down and discussing that and saying, okay, we're going to be monogamous and here are the rules for how we're going to navigate our relationship. And so if they see that person, their partner flirting with somebody else or watching pornography or something, they might then leap to the conclusion that their partner has deceived them or lied to them or cheated or has done something else when the reality is just they never kind of established the ground rules for the relationship. So yeah, it's it, it's an interesting thing when we're talking about deception. Is it intentional deception or is this because there was a miscommunication or as you said, a misalignment of things in the relationship? Absolutely. And I think the other piece to what you what you just mentioned there in terms of the rules of engagement, if you will, we tried to do a study where we brought both partners, the friend and the friends with benefits partner together. And we had one diet who enrolled in the study. <laughs> <laughs> and it just speaks to how difficult and ambiguous these, like, I mean, it's tough to recruit for this kind of a study period, but like, it's really, because we really wanted both people's perception of the exact same relationship. So we get a, a lot of like, you know, cross-sectional slices or sometimes even longitudinal slices of, you know, one person's perspective of friends with benefits, but if we don't really know a lot about if we brought both partners into the same room, how would that conversation go? And I think because of the ambiguity of it, it's difficult to study. That is such a shame that you weren't able to do that study. And I had never tried to do a study where you bring in both parts of a, a friends with benefits, but I think it makes sense that it would be harder to recruit for this because you don't have that same level of commitment that you do in a romantic relationship. And so it might, that might pose a barrier in terms of getting both people to show up and want to participate in this because maybe one person values the relationship or is more invested in it than the other person. And then there could also be maybe a little bit of stigma because we know that casual sex is is still stigmatized. And so maybe people are a bit more hesitant to kind of go in and participate in a study where they have to formally declare their casual sex partner to a team of researchers. So hopefully you're able to do that or someone is able to do that at some point because I agree it would be so fascinating to have information from both sides about their understandings of the rules and the relationship because I've seen this in the world of consensual non-monogamy where you bring people in who maybe are in some type of sexually open relationship and you separately interview them about their understanding of the relationship and sometimes you find that people have totally different understandings of their relationship rules so I would imagine you'd find a lot of that in Friends with Benefits too. Yeah, I was going to mention the consensual non-monogamy research is probably closest, but it's still a very different type of relationship than Friends with Benefits. So it is interesting to kind of see some parallels, but it's also, I would hate to jump to any conclusions. Yeah, totally agree. Now, something else I wanted to ask you is... To what extent do you think somebody's personality or attachment style matters when it comes to navigating friends with benefits relationships? I'm wondering this from the perspective of kind of like who's more likely to have a positive experience than others. So are there any personality traits or attachment styles that you found seem to be related to better outcomes or worse outcomes in a friends with benefits relationship? 
Yeah, what we found, one of the interesting things, we looked at in one study, this idea of sexual scripts. And so how do you identify yourself sexually in terms of, like, what does that script look like for you? Are you more aloof? Are you more warm? Are you more connected? Are you kind of a standoffish type in sexually with approaching things? And what we found is the people who are more likely to hook up were actually the more aloof and engage in friends benefits, the more aloof style of sexual scripts. The people who are less likely to hook up or do friends benefits were more on the warm and, and nurturing side of their sexual script. So what this might say is that there might be some level of like attachment or avoidance style that goes along with friends benefits where they don't really want that deep hard connection. And maybe this is actually a protective way of engaging with folks so they don't get hurt. They don't get too emotionally vulnerable or emotionally connected to somebody. And so I think there's something about that, that that's true. It also plays into the kind of the stereotype a little bit of like, if you really want to engage in these kind of relationships, act like you don't care or act like you're a little bit distant. And I also think that there's some piece to that that is also combined with, you know, increased alcohol use as the number one predictor of friends with benefits and hooking up. And so I think there's that. There's also folks who are more religious tend to uh, engage in friends with benefit relationships a little bit less, and that might speak to more conventional values or things of that nature that may be more related to scripture. And so I, I do think there's some piece of that personality where we think about it maybe more on the liberal to conservative end relationships. And again, that that's totally fine. Even those that we do find that do hook up that have those beliefs, they still rate them pretty high in terms of positive versus negative. So again, it, it's maybe more of like, a, you know, how much are people bringing into the situation where they're just not going to engage in that versus people who do engage and then enjoy those experiences. Yeah. I have one study where I looked at personality and attachment style in relation to friends with benefits. I haven't gotten around to publishing it yet. I presented it at a conference a few years ago. And one of the things I found was that if you look at certain personality traits that are linked to satisfaction with their friend with benefits relationship, it's people who are high in what I call sex-seeking personality traits. So these are people who have an unrestricted sociosexual orientation, meaning they just tend to have more comfort with casual sex. They see sex and love is not necessarily going together. Also, people who are high in the trait of erotophilia, which means they just generally have pretty positive attitudes towards sex. And then also people who are high in sexual sensation seeking. So they have a preference for more thrilling and riskier sexual activities. I find that people who are high in all of these traits tend to be more satisfied in friends with benefits relationships, especially to the extent that they're sexually open, right? And, you know, that's another piece of friends with benefits is that sometimes they're monogamous and then sometimes they're open. So when you have people who are high in these sex-seeking personality traits, if they're in this sort of open friends with benefits relationship, they tend to be happier. I also looked at attachment style, and I found that people who were more insecurely attached, especially those who had a lot of attachment anxiety, where they have this sort of fear of abandonment, they tended to be less satisfied with their friends with benefits relationship. But I also collected a sample of people in romantic relationships, and the people who are high in attachment anxiety were also less satisfied in their romantic relationship. So it just kind of seems to be the case that they're less happy across the board, you know, kind of no matter what kind of relationship they're in. So I think there could be something to personality and attachment that might sort of inform what type of relationship might work out best for you, but we still have more research to do in that area. Yeah, we did a say what was kind of to your point about all these kind of desire for 
more sexual contact, maybe more comfort, is that we found, and this is not going to be a big shock to your listeners, but people who were better at sexual communication had better experiences, right? And so it's just, to me, like the take home from that is like, how do you develop a vocabulary and communicate that with another human being about like, this is what I like to do. This is something that I want to explore or like, hey, I've never done this before, but can we, can we try this? And so I think there's just that, that sense of like most sexual communication is nonverbal. And so once we actually can add words to that, it actually enhances the experience for folks. And I think that's because people understand, oh, this is what my partner wants versus the guessing game, which is never, that's never a great strategy when it comes to sexual intercourse or sexual just relations. Yeah. Mind reading is never a great strategy, whether you're in a friend with benefits relationship or a romantic relationship. Now, we have much more to discuss, including whether friends with benefits can go back to being friends, as well as tips for navigating these relationships. But first, a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Studies show that as many as one in three men say they don't last as long in bed as they'd like to. Fortunately, there's a solution for this, and it's called Promescent. Promescent is a topical spray that boosts sexual stamina through temporary desensitization. Promescent is customizable for your body, and when used as directed, it won't transfer to your partner. Use it alone or in combination with other techniques for faster, more reliable results. Check it out, and you'll see why thousands of physicians and sexual health providers recommend it. Promescent offers a 60-day money-back guarantee, free shipping on orders over $10, and discreet shipping to guarantee privacy. Learn more and place an order at promescent.com. That's P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T dot com. Looking to become a certified sex educator, counselor, or therapist? Check out the Modern Sex Therapy Institutes. MSTI offers certifications in sex therapy, LGBTQIA affirmative therapy, alternative relationships, and more, as well as a PhD program in clinical sexology. All programs can be completed 100% online and are flexible and customizable to meet the needs and schedules of even the busiest participants. You can take live courses the third weekend of each month and choose from over 300 archived workshops taught by renowned experts in the field. For more information, visit ModernSexTherapyInstitutes.com. That's ModernSexTherapyInstitutes.com. Let's talk about what happens to friends with benefits over time. These relationships aren't usually things people enter with a long-term orientation like they do in romantic relationships where, you know, in a romantic relationship, people might think we're going to be together forever, you know, and it's going to be a multi-decade sort of thing. So friends with benefits are usually temporary. So do you have any sense of how long a friend with benefits relationship might typically last? Like what is the, the time course for these relationships? You know, that's a great question, Just that I don't know if we have a great sense of how long they last, but I do agree with you that the temporal nature of them is, is true. So when we assess people, even within just a given semester, at the beginning, they might say they, they're in a friends with benefits, and by the end of the semester, they're, not, they're no longer in a friends with benefits. So it can be as quick as, what, two, three months, and as long as, you know, anecdotally, at least in my clinical practice, I've seen people in friends with benefits relationships for years. And so I, I do I do think there, there's probably a, a reason why there's some that are shorter and some that are longer. But what we do know, at least based on early research, is what I call the rules of 20. And so there's 20% of people who end up in romantic relationships from principle. So they actually do take it to the next level and engage in a committed relationship. 
We also see about 20% of samples where they're no longer friends, they're no longer benefits, it's just done. And then the rest of those folks, right, so the, that middle group, either say they're, they're back to friends or they're, they're back to friends, but their friendship's even better. And so on par, I mean, again, I think what we know about what's predicting these is everything we've been talking about, right? Like being intentional, clear communications, being on the same page. And I think that there's some piece to that that is important for us to understand. The other thing that's interesting is the people who were engaged in friends with benefits and who were friends more than benefits were able to go back to friendships better than those who were more benefits versus friends. And that kind of makes sense, right? The motivation maybe for the friends with benefits was more sexual for some folks. And for others, they really do value that friendship and they feel like the benefits piece probably is not, not where they want to go in. And so I think it's kind of an interesting divide, right? So it's not skewed necessarily one way or the other. Yeah. And what you said there, it reminds me of this study we published last year. It was a study that was a long time in the making. It should have been published a long time ago, but I got sidetracked with other projects. But it was a one-year longitudinal study of friends with benefits. And so we wanted to look at what happened over the course of a one-year period in these relationships. And what we found is, is similar to what you're saying, like there isn't one like clear, strong outcome that most people experience from these relationships. They're all over the map, you know, in terms of whether they're, they become romantic, whether they're friends and then the quality of the friendship that they still have. And then, you know, some people are frenemies, like there's just no relationship whatsoever. But what we found was that for most people, the relationship ended within the span of about a year, right? So that speaks to this idea that these relationships usually seem to be temporary. But like you said, these relationships can sometimes go on for very long periods of time, and they can also be fluid, right? Where you might have a friend with benefits, and then maybe one of you starts a romantic relationship, and then maybe that relationship ends, and then you go back to being friends with benefits, right? So I think there can also be this ebb and flow that sometimes happens in these relationships where they gravitate back to one another when the time and opportunity permits. Now, it was interesting to look at, you know, the people who transitioned their relationship over the course of time. And we also related that to what they wanted to happen in their relationship at the beginning. And what we found was that it was a very small number of people who got the type of relationship they wanted over the course of a year compared to their sort of initial expectations, right? So it wasn't really the case that people were able to kind of push these relationships necessarily in the direction that they wanted to go. But the people who were least successful at transitioning their relationship were the ones who wanted it to turn into a romantic relationship, right? So even though this did happen sometimes, it was something where a lot of people ended up disappointed, right? So if you're looking at a friend with benefits relationship as an opportunity for love, you know, you might want to dial back the expectations a little bit because we find that it's just a pretty uncommon outcome for people to go in wanting that and then to actually get it. It's much more likely that, you know, you're going to go back to being just friends or or something else. So, you know, in terms of like who is likely to be able to stay friends with their partner afterwards? What are some of the factors that might increase the odds of kind of having a good experience, right? Where so the relationship ends on positive terms, you can go back to being friends in some way, and it doesn't get messy and complicated. Yeah, I think it's a few different factors. And so what we see in some of the research is obviously the communication about 
being clear, you know, one of the theories that we have been working off of this from Scott Stanley is the sliding versus deciding theory. And so like, are you a slider? Where, and what we mean by slider is somebody who doesn't really make decisions, but they make decisions kind of inherently through their actions versus deciders who think like, okay, this is what I want for my life. I'm going to communicate this clearly with my partner. So there's no ambiguity. So like what we noticed when people say, yes, we had a conversation about ending the, the benefits part and going back to friends, like that clarity of like just transitions is helpful. And it's helpful because it can help validate the relationship. It can also help validate what this is, right? So it's you know, think about phases of, of friendships, phases of, you know, romantic relationships, people go through different needs and different wants. And it's okay to say, this is no longer what I need. This is no longer what I want. And especially for folks who do really want a romantic relationship, being very clear about that internally to yourself to make sure that you're giving yourself the emotional space to truly connect with someone. So the friends with benefits can be great, but are you occupying your emotional energy, hoping this thing's going to transition when the agreement's really not that? I think the other piece about the deception, when we were mentioning that earlier, is you know if you're if you're feeling like you're being deceived, that that's a good that's a good red flag of like okay this is no longer feeling good, and there chances are there might be valid reasons for that, or if you're really kind of like you mentioned like the insecure, you know worried about abandonment all the time then that might not be the best setup for you. Ambiguity is hard for everybody, but it's really hard for those who are more prone to think that things are not going to end up well. People are out, you know, for maybe nefarious reasons to, to end the relationship in a bad way. Yeah. And in, in our longitudinal study, when we were looking at, you know, what predicts things working out well or the relationship ending on positive terms, having those matching expectations at the beginning, you know, being on the same page, having more communication at the beginning about setting up ground rules. These were strong predictors of ending the relationship on positive terms. And another thing that was important there was being more committed to the friendship, right? So the more invested people were in the friendship aspect of the relationship, the more likely they were to retain that friendship later on. So I think that speaks to the fact that strong communication and then having this core emphasis on the friendship are pretty key and important factors. We also have another study that we conducted where we looked at people who had been in a friends with benefits relationship that had ended. And some of the findings there were interesting because we looked at people's reasons for starting that relationship initially, and then whether the relationship ended on positive or negative terms. And what we found was that people who were motivated to start their relationship, their friend with benefits, because they wanted it to become romantic or because they really wanted emotional connection, they were more likely to say the relationship ended on negative terms. And by contrast, people who started their friends with benefits relationship because they wanted to have more sex and try new things and explore their sexual identity, they tended to end on more positive terms. Also, people who wanted to avoid romantic relationships ended on more positive terms as well, right? So people's motivations and expectations are really important, but I think the real key is, is really having that matching set of expectations between partners. I think you're right. And I, I would add that one of the exercises that we do in some of the romantic relationship classes is we do the math. Like, how would you get to a friends with benefits relationship? And what's interesting is that most people say, well, you're friends with somebody and then you're hanging out one night and then things just kind of evolve, which is definitely one possible way for that to, to start. And, but is that the, what you do with that afterwards, I think is the important piece of being clear with that communication. Because, you know, so 
you know, it might be a fun night. It might be a night out. It might be people drinking and think one thing leads to another. But then the, the next day, like the day after, like how do you preserve the friendship? How do you preserve potentially that movement into a friendship benefit situation? I think those are the key like turning points. Those turning points are important. Yeah. And the turning points are going to be different depending on kind of how the friends with benefits relationship forms initially, you know, because for some people, they have this really strong friendship to begin with. And then there's a turning point where they add a sexual component to that relationship. But for other people, friends with benefits start out as purely a sexual relationship, and then the friendship grows out of it, right? So, you know, you've got all these different sorts of turning points that I think are really interesting to explore, but it highlights the fact that there isn't just one set of rules or guidelines that you can apply to these relationships because they all look so different. So now I know these relationships are all different, but let's talk about some general tips for navigating them. So how can people develop and establish healthier, happier friends with benefits relationships? And let's start at the very beginning. So for people who are contemplating starting a friends with benefits relationship, what would you advise them to think about at this stage? You know, Justin, I really appreciate you starting it from the beginning because I think before you start to think about a friends with benefits relationship, I think an internal search of like, what do I really want in my life right now? And is this what I want? I think, and being true and honest, like if you really want a romantic relationship that's monogamous, great. But be clear about that. And that friends and benefits relationships is not that. It can get to that for sure, but most likely it's not that. It's not going to be that. And so just to be kind of honest with yourself, I think it's the first step. I always encourage folks to you know, reach out to somebody that knows them very well. Like, how do you think this would go if I was in this kind of relationship? <laughs> to give like that real talk, you know, that real feedback about like, you know, you're not really set up to deal with ambiguity very well. Are you sure you want to be in this? Like asking those questions to yourself is key. And then understanding your motivations. Is it really that you want to take this kind of friendship to the next level? Or as you described, maybe it is starts with more of the intimacy and then moving into a friendship. So just trying to figure out like which path, which roads might be possible in your life. And are you okay with that? I think that's the, the big piece. If you don't feel like you're going to be okay with it, then you might want to hit the pause button. I, I love that so much. <laughs> and I think that that's just great advice for people, no matter where they are, is to do that check-in with yourself. You know, we often talk about doing relationship check-ins where you check in with your partner and see how things are going, but you need to do that check-in with yourself and see what is it that I really want for me at this stage of life and what type of relationship is likely to best meet my needs so that you don't end up in a situation that is really counterproductive and is not meeting your needs at all. So let's say someone does that internal search and they say, you know, having a friend with benefits sounds right for me. I want to explore that. And they meet somebody and kind of hit it off or they have an existing friendship where they're kind of both also attracted to each other. So they're going to start being friends with benefits. What kind of ground rules do you think are a good idea to have in these relationships. So, you know, yes, having the the matching expectations, talking about that is important, but you also need to have some kind of structure for these relationships because as you said, these relationships are very ambiguous, right? So you need to give them some structure. So can you give us some sample ground rules that can kind of take some of that ambiguity out of the equation? Yeah, I think it's good to be on the same page about what I call like sexual appetite. So the benefits piece for some folks, they might want to 
engage in intimacy like two, three times a week. Other folks may just want to do it once a month. And so I think being on the same page about those expectations, I think is key to making sure that folks are on the same page that not every single time we hang out is going to lead to sexual intimacy. I think that whatever that pace is, needs to be somewhat understood that like, hey, I don't really want to do this every single night. I want to have a little bit more flexibility or, hey, sometimes I'm going to want to go out with my friends without you being there. Like those types of kind of ground rules are like, what does that look like? I think this is true for all relationships. Like what time is friend time? What time is our time? What time is kind of a mutual friend plus us at the end of the night kind of time? So I think just having the conversation, I think a lot of times clears up some miscommunications that can happen down the road. And again, like we were talking about before, like just because you agreed to it or has some clarity at one point, it's always good to come back and check into the relationship at, at a different point in time, right? Just make sure that, okay, is this kind of the pace that we're wanting? So I think that kind of sexual communication and, and relational communication is key. And as well as to be like, okay, if this isn't working for one of us, that's okay too. We can stop this at any time and not engage in this, but like with the hope that our friendship will you know, continue and be as strong as it was when we first started the situation. So just kind of acknowledging some of those pieces and the desire for goodness for both partners in the friends of benefits situation. Yeah. And I think a few other important pieces to add to that when we're talking about, you know, rules and boundaries and structure is, of course, you're going to need to have the safe sex discussion, you know, and are you each seeing other people? Because, you know, that's going to inform the the types of safe sex decisions that you make. So obviously, that is a really important piece and consideration here is how do you protect your own and your partner's sexual health? I think there are also going to need to be some discussion about, you know, what what's happening here, right? So are we still both allowed to date on the side? And what happens if one of us starts a relationship with someone else, just in the interest of, you know, one person not feeling like they were abandoned or left or deceived, right? So, you know, sort of being clear about what is allowed to happen outside of the relationship can be helpful. And then also, you know, what are the rules for intimacy within the relationship? You know, some people set rules, for example, like, you know, we're allowed to hook up, but you're not allowed to spend the night because that feels too intimate. Or some of them have rules about not kissing because that feels too intimate and personal. And so, you know, it might also be discussing like what sex acts are permitted, what intimate acts are permitted so that everybody feels safe and that you're getting what it is that you want. So I think there's lots of potential considerations here. And as I mentioned, there isn't just like one one size fits all set of rules that you can apply to these relationships. You kind of have to think of these relationships as customizable and you have to come up with the rule set and structure that works for you. And I think that the more that you invest in that and create some structure in this relationship to reduce that ambiguity and uncertainty, the better off you're going to be in the end. Yeah, I really appreciate you mentioning the, the what to do, how do we navigate other relationships? Because as I mean, probably you've seen this in your research as well, there's a number of folks who indicate that they have multiple friends with benefits relationships going on concurrently. And I think that's, uh, again, teach their own, but how much do people know about those different outside relationships and how much do people want to know about those outside relationships? Yeah. And this is taking me back to the consensual non-monogamy literature in terms of kind of how people navigate sexually open relationships. And some people have what they call a don't ask, don't tell policy. Like, 
you can do whatever else you want to do, but I don't want to know about it. Like, just don't tell me. Uh, whereas others want open disclosure policies because they want to know if you're engaging with other people in the interest of protecting their sexual health. So, you know, you have to kind of figure out what it is that works for you. Some people with open disclosure policies don't handle that information well. It makes them feel very insecure, sometimes jealous, right? So jealousy is an issue that can sometimes come up in friends with benefits relationships. So you got to figure out, you know, what are the rules and policies that are right for me and my partner? The things that's unique about the friends with benefits too is, and similar to consensual non-monogamy, is should we be able to engage other friends with benefits relationships and then what friendship networks are those connected to? So is it like, are you hooking up or friends with benefits with two people within the same friendship network? To me, like those kinds of things just need to be clear and on the table because that can get messy. People could feel more deceived if that's the case. Yeah, and that's such an important point. And, and I think it's a consideration in any friends with benefits relationship because if the two of you are part of a bigger friendship circle and you know your core friends in this area and then you start having sex and then it ends and it gets messy you know that's going to have implications for the entire friendship circle so i think it's just it's not to say that you can't do it or that you shouldn't do it it's just approach with caution you know when there are other friends in the mix in the interest of maintaining that you know sort of in-group harmony now, I know we're running short on time, but there's one other question I wanted to ask you about this. And it's a suggestion that I've heard some people make for maybe how to make friends with benefits relationships work out a little bit better, which is to set an expiration date for them, right? To say, you know, here is sort of the timeline for our relationship, like our contract, and maybe it's going to be six months or a year or whatever. And then we're going to revisit it at that point and decide if we want to continue being friends with benefits or if we just want to end it because we want to pursue relationships. So what are your thoughts on sort of putting an expiration date on the benefits? That's an interesting question. I, you know, I don't think there's any research out there per se on this point, but one of the things that in my life is like, things ebb and flow, relationships are not linear. And I think especially true for friends with benefits. And so what I would encourage folks to do, at least to have an internal clock about like, when are you going to reevaluate? Is this, is this working for me? And I think people do that just naturally um, in some ways, but I think it's it, to be intentional about it, similar to when we've started this conversation about, are you ready for this? Now you've experienced it. Are you still ready for this? Because it's one thing to say that, like, you know, I could do that. And then there's another, when it, you know, when the rubber hits the road, like, wow, this is not what I expected this to be. My emotions are all over the place. I saw so-and-so with somebody else. I got jealous. So all those kinds of things are natural reactions, human reactions. But again, it kind of then is a signal to, to the person, like, is this really what I want? And long-term, is this really what I want? And like, when I was mentioning before, the emotional capacity that somebody has can be limited if you really want a romantic relationship. Most people who are starting and wanting a romantic relationship don't want their partner to be in relationships with other people. And so I think, you know, just having that space and being available for somebody else, if, if monogamy is what you want, is a different pathway. And I think you raise a lot of great points there. And as I'm thinking about this idea of sort of an expiration date for the relationship, 
you know, I can't help but think about how people just grow and change over time, you know, and what works for you right now might not work for you a year from now or five years from now or 10 years from now. And so, you know, from that standpoint, having an expiration date might not necessarily be a bad idea because it's an opportunity to reevaluate, reassess and figure out what it is that you need at this particular point in time. One other thing that I wanted to ask you about is that, you know, during this pandemic that we've been living through for quite some time, I have seen some research suggesting that more people started friends with benefits, right? And so it's interesting when you think about how something like a global pandemic shapes the course of the relationships that we create. And I think a part of it during the pandemic was restricted opportunities. And so some people started having sex with their roommates or their friends because they couldn't go out and date and pursue relationships in the way that they did before. So just curious if you have any thoughts on sort of how the pandemic changed the course of friends with benefits at all. You know, I'd be really fascinated to see some studies that may have started before the pandemic and then transitioned into the pandemic because, you know, I mean, if you think about even the messaging, at least initially, like get your, you know, COVID bubble of people. Like they're almost encouraging a small subset of people to to coexist, and I think that you know emotionally and from a support you know wise, that was a great suggestion I think from the federal government to create bubbles to make sure containment was was there. And I do think that there's probably a number of folks who then realized, shoot, I'm missing this intimacy part of my life, and you know this this does feel like this could be a temporary thing, but also a beneficial thing through this pandemic. And so I'd be interested to see if those relationships flourish after the pandemic or if it's kind of like what you were mentioning before, there's an expiration date. Like, okay, we can now more reasonably go out to the world and start to date again, start to explore options. You know, I even think a lot of the dating apps have, have done a really good thing in terms of like identifying folks who are vaccinated and, you know, just safety precautions in a, in a different way than what we've seen pre-pandemic. I, I do think those are useful things and I do think it would be interesting to see kind of the research unfold after this pandemic, what, what's still on. Yeah, but next time you need to go into a lockdown bubble, make sure you've got a friend with benefits with you. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Jesse. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and find your books? Yeah, so they can find me at University of Denver, Jesse Owen Faculty. And you, you can see my website and my books, as well as some of my articles on the topics that we talked about today. Well, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate having you here. And I think this was such a great conversation on Friends with Benefits. And hopefully it takes some of the ambiguity out of the equation for some of my listeners. Thank you. Thank you, Justin, for all your work and your podcast. It's fantastic. Well, thank you. And thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.